today we are doing something a little bit different. <laughs> um, we are not going to be going through the book of Acts today. I'm going to actually be preaching to you from the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, and we'll be looking at the baptism of Jesus. Um, with that being said, let's turn in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 13 through 17. Matthew 3, verses 13 through 17 says this. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Thus ends our reading of God's inerrant word. May all who hear it find that their righteousness is fulfilled in Christ Jesus. So have you ever wondered why Jesus needed to be baptized? Why was it necessary for him, the, the sinless Lamb of God, to go under the waters to be cleansed? When I was young in the faith, I often pondered over this. And for it always seemed to me that, that baptism was for those who were dirty, right? I mean, that's what baptism is all about, is it not? The cleansing of someone who is sinful. I mean, think about it. What was John the Baptist's message? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And John even said, I, I baptize you with water for repentance. So why did Jesus need to be baptized. If Jesus was sinless, then there was no need for him to repent, am I right? Plus, he, he didn't need to worry about the coming of, of the kingdom either. He didn't need to be anxious about the reign of heaven that was at hand, for after all, he is the king. He, he would be the one who would judge everybody else. So, so what is going on? What, what is this story all about? Why, why do we find Jesus being baptized in the Jordan River? Let's take a closer look and, and see what Matthew is describing here, and maybe, maybe we'll find some answers. Look at, look at verses 13 and 14 once again. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Now, now here's a man with some common sense, am I right? I mean, John the Baptist agrees with, with my younger self. Why should Jesus be baptized? Early in the chapter, John had uh, turned away 
both the Pharisees and the Sadducees due to their unrepentant hearts. And in fact, what he, he, he called these men a brood of vipers. He would not baptize them because they were not repentant. And yet here we see the opposite problem. John viewed Jesus as his moral superior. Knowing his own sin, John felt that that righteous Jesus should be the one baptizing him. I mean, that only makes sense, am I right? Well, let, let me give you an illustration to help you see the absurdity of Jesus' request. When I was in high school, I, I was on the basketball team. I, I, I was what you would term a, a bench warmer. You know that term? <laughs> And it's not that I wasn't any good. There were just other players who were better than me, right? And so my time on the court was limited. Now imagine if one day at practice, you've got to remember, this is early 90s when I was in high school. So imagine if one day at practice, Michael Jordan showed up to our gym. You know, this is it, probably the peak of his basketball prowess, right? And so he shows up at our gym, and he comes over to me, and he asks, Corey, would you teach me how to play? It's ridiculous, isn't it? And why would the, the best basketball player in the, in the whole wide world be asking for, help, asking for help from a bench warmer on a high school team? I mean, I, I should be saying to him, I, I need to be taught by you. <laughs> and do you come to me? John knew who Jesus was. He knew that he was the righteous one sent down from heaven. That he was the spotless lamb of God. Not even having a hint of sin. And so he knew that it should have been Jesus who was baptizing him. That only makes sense, right? But Jesus had other plans. Look at verse 15. But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. These are the very first words that we hear from our Lord in the Gospel of Matthew. Let it be so now, for thus it is, fulfill, thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. R.C. Sproul said of this verse that there is no more important text in the New Testament that defines the work of Jesus than this one. And I think Sproul was right. Jesus was sent to this earth in order to fulfill all righteousness. That, that means he was to obey all the aspects of God's law. In other words, he, he came to fulfill all of God's requirements on behalf of God's people. Now, now, as Christians, we, we tend to focus heavily upon the cross, right? And we should. 
However, Christ's work on this earth was not limited to his death. No. In fact, there are, there are two aspects to Jesus' redemptive work. Theologians label them as Christ's active obedience and as his passive obedience. You see, passively, Jesus bore the punishment for our sin. So when we see him dying on the cross, he was submitting to the wrath of God on our behalf. Jesus died so that you could be declared as innocent, could be seen as blameless before God. However, his death does not mean that you can be declared as righteous before God. If that were, if that were the case, Jesus would not have had to been born as an infant. No. Instead, he could have just shown up one day as a fully grown man, nailed himself to the cross, and been done with it. But Jesus' death was not enough. Not enough for those who believe in him to be declared as righteous. Jesus had to also actively obey the law of God perfectly. This is what we term as Christ's active obedience. In other words, in, in, in Jesus' in passive obedience, he took upon himself the curse of God's judgment. He, he paid the penalty for man's disobedience to God's holy decrees. But in Jesus' active obedience, he brings a whole life in submission to God's will, which qualifies him to be the spotless lamb. He is seen as faultless, for he has fulfilled all righteousness. So when we get to the cross, what, what we have is, is known to us as a double imputation. Have you heard that term before? Double imputation. Let me explain to you what it means. In essence, at the cross, the sin of the believer is placed upon Jesus, which, which makes the believer innocent. Then in, in his passive, this is Christ's passive obedience. But in his active obedience, Christ's faithfulness to the law of God is then placed upon the sinner, which makes him righteous. Are, are you tracking? I don't see many not, heads nodding. <laughs> In other words, it wasn't enough for Jesus to just die for you. He needed to live a perfect life for you as well. He took upon the curse that comes from disobeying God's law. And you who believe take upon the blessing that comes from Jesus' obedience to God's law. And this is what is known as double imputation. I know it's one of those theology terms, right? Um, as long as you understand what's going on, that's all, that's all that matters. And, and this is what John, and this is what Jesus meant when, when he said to John the Baptist, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And so Jesus allowed himself to be baptized by John in order to identify with the sinner and to provide for them his perfect righteousness. You see, just as a sinner needs to be cleansed from their sins 
In order to be welcomed into God's kingdom, Jesus took upon the sins that, that he didn't commit, sins that were committed by others, and then he drowned them in the baptismal waters. And this was why John consented. And it is why we see Jesus being baptized in our next verse. Look at, look at verse 16. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. Now these heavens being opened up brings to mind many of the former encounters that God's people had with the Lord. Take, for instance, the prophet Ezekiel, when God had called him to be a prophet. Look, look at Ezekiel 1, verse 1. In the thirtieth year, in the fourth month, on the fifth day of the month, I was among the exiles by the Kibar Canal. The heavens were opened, and I saw visions of God. And here we see Ezekiel receiving his calling as a prophet. And he received this calling as the heavens were being opened up for him. And he saw visions of God. And now today in our story, the heavens are opened up once again. And we see a calling of a different sort, do we not? For one who is greater than Ezekiel has come. The one who brings the kingdom of heaven down to earth with him and into the hearts of men. And just as Ezekiel saw that vision of God, God can be plainly seen once more. Only this time in the form of a dove. The heavens had opened and the image was that of the Holy Spirit hovering over the waters and descending upon Jesus. Again, Matthew points us backwards to imagery we find in the Old Testament, right? You can't help but to think of the opening chapter of Genesis. Genesis 1, verses 1 and 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And here we see the creation of the world when, when everything was still in chaos, when the earth had yet to take form. And it was the Holy Spirit who, who fluttered over the waters like a bird, ready to give it shape, ready to breathe life and, and give new, cre new creation. And in our account for today, we, we see that same Spirit of God descending over the waters in the form of a dove and lighting upon Jesus. I mean, do you guys see it? Hey, a new creation has arrived. The kingdom from heaven that, that John had claimed was at hand was now bursting forth, and his king was now being anointed from above. That's what, this, that's what is going on. This is an anointing. Look, look at Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 through 5. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, 
and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. Jesus had now begun his campaign as this mighty, mighty king. The Spirit of the Lord was now resting upon him, and he would bring forth his rule in all righteousness. But that's not all we see. Look at our last verse. Look at verse 17, back in the Gospel of Matthew. And behold, a a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well Pleased. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Now, now I would be remiss as a pastor if I did not point out the fact that what we just read gives testimony to the triune God. In just two verses, we have seen the son being baptized, the spirit descending upon the son, and the voice of of the Father sounding from heaven. Each of them fully God, and each of them distinct from the other. This is the God we serve. One God in three persons. And it is in this verse here that the Father affirms His Son. Breaking the silence, the Father speaks. As if sounding the alarm, he he declares the dawn of the messianic age. The inauguration of the rule that comes down from heaven. The kingdom had come. And it would be his son who would rule. The righteous one whom he loved and in whom he was well pleased. Again, this... This leads us back to the Old Testament. Look at Psalm chapter 2, verses 7 through 9. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask me, and I will make the nations your heritage, and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron, and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. And so from this psalm and from what we read earlier in Isaiah, we see the declaration of the coming king. A king of great power and great wisdom. A king who rules with an iron scepter. A king who judges with righteousness. Dear friends, what what we see in Jesus' baptism is the inauguration of a divine ruler. The heavens had, 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 had broken forth for him. The the, the Spirit descended upon him. 
And the holy voice of the Father rang out for him, declaring that he is worthy. And here's the amazing thing about this. In what was supposed to be an act of humbleness in this baptism with water for repentance, instead we see the splendor of our Lord. Amen. We see the inauguration of our King. We see glory in humility. And there are three remarkable truths that I want you to grab hold of. And the first is this, that by declaring Jesus as the Son of God, the Father was announcing that this Messiah is God. Jesus is more than just a man. Jesus is more than just a good teacher or a prophet. He is more than just a king, but he is God the Son. And he needed to be. Jesus had to be God in order order to fulfill all righteousness. For, For if he was just a man, he would have been born a son of Adam. He would have been born into sin. And this is why the virgin birth is is vital to Christ's identity. For for Jesus could not be born into the curse if he wanted to fulfill all righteousness. And yet he was born of a woman as well. Though he is fully God, he is also fully man. And this brings us to truth number two. In order to fulfill all righteousness, Jesus had to identify with you as the bearer of your transgressions. And even though he is God, and even though he is sinless, he is also human. Therefore, he he represents man. And he represented man as he went into those baptismal waters for the repentance of sins. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Brothers, sisters, there is no one who is good enough. There is no one who can stand before God you, you, you can't say to him, oh, but I, but I served the poor and I fed the hungry. I, I gave to the needy and I, and I loved my wife. I, I gave my kids a good life. And I even looked after my mom and dad as they were getting old and feeble. No, as great as those things are, none of those things can make you worthy. None of those things can make you good. Only by putting on the righteousness of Christ will you be able to please God. For only He can fulfill all righteousness. And finally, our our, our third remarkable truth. In your baptism, you are united with Christ. In both his death and in his resurrection. 
Look at Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. You see, what it all boils down to is this. God became a man in order to live the righteous life that you could not live. And if you repent from your sins and trust in this Jesus and the shedding of his blood for the forgiveness of your sins and in his resurrection from the dead, then he will take upon your sins and his righteousness, that perfect life that he lived, will be imparted to you. Not only will you be seen as guiltless, but you will also be seen as righteous. Today we will be celebrating some baptisms. And these baptisms are significant. Because they they symbolize all that Christ has done for you. As you go under the water... It's as if you are buried with Christ in his death. And as you come up out of the water, it's as as if you are raised, just as Jesus was raised, to newness of life. And that's all because Jesus has fulfilled all righteousness for you. Thank you, Jesus, indeed. And this is who your king is. This is our Jesus. He is the one who fulfills all righteousness for you. Turn away from your sins and trust in him. Go into those baptismal waters and be cleansed. He's our good and gracious King. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for the life of your Son. Not not only did he die for us, but he, he lived in perfect obedience to your will. And how gracious he is that, that he gives of his righteousness freely. How amazing is that? And so we ask now that you would help us, help us to repent of our sins and to trust in him. May your Holy Spirit dwell in us richly, giving us the faith to believe. And we pray specifically for those who are being baptized today, that you would fill them with your presence as their old self is buried with Christ. And they are raised to newness of life. May your hand be upon them. And may your spirit guide them. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.